So I've been praying about what to do next in this new series, and this God is blank series is going to be looking at key attributes of God that you need to know, because the most important thing, as A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So God is the ultimate reality in the universe. Before the world, the universe existed, God existed. God created everything from nothing. Just from the word of his mouth, God spoke, and, so, and nothing became something. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, before there was anything, there was God. And God is eternal. That's something you need to know is God has always been and he always will be. And he, he was in the beginning. He is eternal. And in the beginning, God, God was. So why are you here on earth? That's my question. Why are you here on earth? The reason you're here is because God said so. <laughs> God said, and you are now you are here. God said a word, and this amazing world was created. He actually did it in seven different days, because he's just creative like that. He just, he just wanted to create it in seven different days, days. If you don't believe in God, then you actually believe that nothing created something. And that something evolved and created and eventually became everything we see here. Design and everything. And bottom line, an atheist, a true atheist that does not believe in God, believes that everything came from chance. The problem is, is that chance has no power to create anything. Okay? Chance is not an actual thing. Okay? Because it's been proven scientifically that this universe had a beginning, had a definite beginning. I believe in the Big Bang. I believe that God said it, and bang, it happened, okay? I believe that, that God in the beginning said it happened. And so chance is just a word. It's not even a thing. It's just a word that we use to describe something that doesn't even exist. In the beginning, chance just doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. So I could talk all night about, this is not an apologetics talk proving the existence of God, but next week you need to put on your calendars, come to challenge, because I invited my buddy Adam Groza, who's a PhD, and he teaches apologetics at Gold Gateway Seminary, and he is a genius guy. So his topic next week is God is real. And so bring your friends, your skeptical friends, and come ready to learn about who God is. And you'll, you'll get your questions answered, and you'll be more equipped to help others discern who God is. And, but really, the most important thing I'm going to focus on tonight is God's holiness. You may see on your little handout that God is holy. And God, the holiness of God is the defining characteristic. It's the adjective that God uses to define himself. It's the word that God chose for himself. God chose, I am the holy God. So before we get, jump into that, I want to stop and pray. And before we pray, I want us to realize something, that this prayer is not just a transition statement. This is not just a time to go from the intro to the body this is a time that we get to approach the living God, the God that spoke the world into existence, the holy God. And so I want us not to think about when we bow our head and close our eyes, not to think about what you're doing after, what assignment you have. I want us to think about and realize that we are getting to pray 
to the same God that is holding the universe in his hand. The same God, but he's listening to this prayer. So let's take a moment and pray to God. God, we are humbled before you. I pray that in here tonight, we would be amazed by your goodness and your holiness and how different you are than us. And also be amazed by how you love each one of us individually. I pray that I would not be um, afraid of what people think of me. I repent of that right now and ask that you'd forgive me. I pray that I will only care what you think of me. I pray that you'd give me your spirit, fill me with your spirit. Help me to say the words that you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to get into this topic, God is holy. So what does the word holy mean? The word holy in the Old Testament meant apartness, holiness, sacredness, separateness, consecrated. The word in the New Testament is hagios, means different, set apart, other, otherness, otherness. I don't know if that's a word. Is that a word? Likeness of nature with the Lord, different from the world. So a lot of people think, when they think of holy, they just think of morally pure. And that's not all it is. Yes, it is morally pure. Holiness means morally pure. But it also means set apart. It means different. And I love, look at this, this phrase. It says, likeness of the nature with the Lord. I love that, that one of the definitions of holy is like God. So God is holy like God, okay? God is so holy that he has to define it with himself. He's the only thing he can compare himself to, is he is completely holy. No words can describe the word holy. It just means he's completely not like us. He stands above the universe. He stands above every single one of us. He is different. And he is perfect and, and powerful and, and holy. He, the third person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy is part of the, the name of the Spirit of God. God has other attributes, which we're going to go over in this series. God, God is loving. We're going to talk about how God is loving. We're going to talk about how God has power. We're going to talk about how God has wisdom. But the word holy actually defines and, and is, is a, defines every other aspect of God's attributes. So you could more accurately say is God has holy love. God has holy wisdom. God has holy power. Because his holiness is so different than anything else. God stands out and above everything else in the world. He is holy. Um, R.C. Sproul, in a great book that I got a lot of this content from, said this, Holiness is synonymous with God's total purity and separation from the rest of creation. Holiness is a moral purity. God's holiness is inter eternally incorruptible. This holiness so sets God apart from fallen man that in his natural state, no man may approach the incorruptible God. For man is tarnished, dirty, and corrupt, and true holiness cannot bear such. This is evidenced by the special commands to those who would approach God. R.C. Sproul. So 
this is, is something, as I was preparing this message, I actually put, I knew I needed to write this message because I knew that this is something we need to grasp. It was how holy God is, how perfect God is, and how we just need to stand in awe of who he is. So I honestly, I put off writing this message because I'm a little bit freaked out by God, honestly. He, he makes me, I, he makes me worried <laughs> when, I, when I think about who God is. Let's see, Isaiah 6. This is the main passage we're going to look at tonight. So let's read it along with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this, ha- this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Isaiah 6, 1-8. This scene is intense. The, let's take a look at it. The first thing I see, and you can kind of underline as we go along, the first thing I see is, I saw the Lord. First of all, someone that first read the Hebrew scriptures when Isaiah wrote this would be like, what? No, you didn't see the Lord, you would die. If you see the Lord, you die instantly. You don't see the Lord and live to tell about it. So first of all, he saw the Lord. And then it says, he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So what I see with that, the significance is that, is that God is the king. He is high and exalted. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is in charge. He is sovereign over everything. He is high and lifted up. Anyone, and then I saw that the train of his robe filled the temple. I had never really noticed that part. But the train of his robe, so he had this long robe that filled the whole temple. And what does that signify? That signifies his glory. That signifies his extravagance. That signifies how extra God is. God is so extra, okay? His glory is, is over the top. Um, anyone, any of you ladies or guys, if you want to admit, did you see the royal wedding? Anyone see it? Okay, a few people. Um, her, her dress had a long train, okay? It was so extra, right? And um, Princess Diana's train was actually 25 feet long. So it was really long. I'm a little embarrassed I looked that up. I was like, (laughs) curious. Um, But that's the point. God's glory, God is so glorious. He just fills the temple with his glory. Then I saw this, these living creatures. They're kind of freaky, honestly. It says, above him were seraphim. They're a form of angel. Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. and And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. So these guys needed six wings, so they, one, to, to, one pair to fly, one pair to cover their face, because they couldn't stand to be in the presence of the holy God, and one to cover their feet, 
And the, the thing about the feet kind of confused me, and I, I did some study on it. And in those times, your feet were, were represented to be dirty. So that, that's a theory, is they were covering their feet because you're walking around in the dirt and everything, and your feet were dirty. So even their feet, God was so holy that they had to even cover their feet. And it also got me thinking about Moses when he saw the burning bush and how he had to take his sandals off when he, when he saw the burning bush. Exodus 3, 5 through 6, you can look it up sometime. It says, then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was ashamed to look at God. Moses hid his face because he realized God is holy and I am not. And then what, what the, these seraphim were screaming is even more amazing. Back in Isaiah 6, it says they were screaming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then it says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. They were blasting about God's holiness. They were saying, holy, holy, holy. The whole place was shaking, and there was smoke filling the place. In Hebrew language, when something was repeated, that was a way to put an emphasis on something. And all throughout the Bible, there's several times where things are repeated twice. And even Jesus, when he made a, a profound statement, he would, he would start it with, truly, truly, I say to you. And so when someone heard Jesus say that, they would say, oh, truly, truly, not just truly, truly, truly. But there's only a special time reserved for when it's talking about God and his holiness that it's used, something is repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy. There is no way to exaggerate the holiness of God. There, it's, it's, when someone used that, there's no way to put a better exclamation part, mark, a gif, or anything to make it stand out more. God's holy. God is extremely holy. There's nothing that, that could make God more holy than he is. It's impossible for him to be more holy. He's as holy as he could be. So sometimes I struggle when I'm worshiping God, like even this Sunday, and we, we sing songs all about the holiness of God. And I've been studying this and thinking about it, and I was singing a song. It was about the holiness of God, and I just had to stop. Because can't, you can't sing about someone so holy and so perfect and so different than me and not be in awe. And so I had to take a few moments just to repent before God of how flippantly I was coming into his presence and how I, I needed to repent and, and then just rejoice in that this same holy God accepts me. And so then it was tears flowing, okay? And it doesn't happen all the time. It happens more than I like. But, uh, and then I, I thank God we have a lobby outside at our church, and so I can put the sunglasses on and no one even knows, okay? But man, God is holy. And, this, and then the second part of what they scream is the whole wor world is filled with his glory. So everything you see, the whole world glorifies God. He's not only holy, he, he is glorious, the next thing I noticed was it said the temple was filled with smoke. And smoke comes from fire. 
okay? And so God has a holy blazing fire about him. God is holy. And next time you see a church with a smoke machine, don't knock it, okay? Don't make fun of it. It's biblical. There's fire, smoke. I was actually this summer, David Platt and Passion Music were at a conference that I was, I was actually speaking at the same conference. And David Platt did a talk way better than this one on the holiness of God on the same passage. And he talked about the smoke filling and, and stuff like that. And the very next talk, he came up and Passion Music just led this amazing, they did Reckless Love and all that kind of stuff. And um, there was like the fog from the smoke machine all around him. And he couldn't even see his notes or anything. And he was like, this is what it was like, the fog, the holiness of God. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But picture yourself in this scene. Let's get back to the scene. Picture yourself standing before the God, high and lifted up, these freaky creatures blasting the words, holy, 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 smoke everywhere, the walls are shaking. What would your response be? What would your response be? It would be, probably be a lot like Isaiah's. He said, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Woe to me, I am ruined. Another translation says this, I am ruined as I am undone. Like I cannot stand before the holiness of God. Why? Because even the most morally pure person is, is des in desperate need of forgiveness before the holy God. Isaiah was a good guy, okay? He was God's chosen servant. He was a prophet. And he had a special relationship with God at the time. But when he saw God, his, his sinfulness, all he could think about was how sinful he was compared to how perfect God was. God's blazing holiness exposes our desperate sinfulness before him. That's the next point. God's blazing holiness exposes our desperate sinfulness. Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So that leads me to my first main point, is that the holiness of God inspires fear of God. The holiness of God inspires fear of God. Jesus was God, and he became a man. He is God. He became a man. And Jesus was the representation of God's holiness on earth. And sometimes you don't think of God's holiness in Jesus sometimes, but this picture, this story of how Jesus calmed the wind and the waves is a great picture of God, God's holiness in Christ. Let's look at Matthew 4, 37 through 41. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Obey him. Mark 4, 37 through 41. I love this story because they were freaked out by the storm. They were freaked out and they were saying, Jesus, don't you realize we're going to die? And Jesus comes up and he's like, he stops it. He stops the storm. And he said, why are you so afraid? Why do you have so little faith? Which that's a whole sermon in itself, but I'm going to save that for later. Okay, don't worry. And then it says this, it says they were terrified. 
They were terrified. At, the storm was over. The sto- why were they terrified? They were terrified because they knew how holy Jesus was. They were terrified because they knew how sinful they were. They were like, who is this that can stop the wind and the waves? They had a holy fear of God. The first thing people say when they encounter God's holiness is, woe is me. The first thing they say when they encounter God's holiness is, woe is me. Before they say, wow, (laughs) that's amazing grace. So it starts with woe and it ends with wow. You can't really understand God's grace until you understand God's holiness. Until you really grasp how holy God is, you will never fully appreciate how great God's grace is for you. And you want God to be holy. When people start talking about the fear of the Lord, sometimes they think, oh, I don't like to think about that. I don't like to, you know, that's kind of scary. Um, But anything less than holy wouldn't be God. It wouldn't be a God worthy of worship. A God, a holy God is the only kind of God that you would want to worship. But actually, it doesn't really matter who, what you want. God is who he is, whether you want him to be or not. God is completely holy. He stands alone. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I think sometimes us modern Christians, we try to sanitize what it means to fear the Lord. I think we try to even explain away when we say the fear of the Lord, and we say, well, actually, it means respect for God, or it means honor for God. And yes, that's true. Technically, it does mean respect and honor, but also it's respect and honor like you honor a king back in Bible times where they could cut your head off, okay? It's, It's respect and honor that's actually God could kill you. Like, honestly, it's, you cannot... I want to warn you, don't sanitize and, and minimize the, what it means to fear the Lord. Now, I'm, what I'm not talking about is if you're a follower of Christ, if you commit your life to Christ, that you don't live in a constant dread that God is going to smite you and send you straight to hell. If you are a Christian, you are eternally secure. You have salvation forever. Once saved, always saved. Trust me, if you could lose your salvation, I would have, okay? I, you know, if God, God, once you, he saves someone, he's not going to let you go. But if you're not a Christian, it's actually good to have a holy fear of God. Because the reality is, if you're not a follower of Christ, you are separated from God. You are actually what the Bible says, you are an enemy of God. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, he wants you in his family. He wants you on his team. But don't, don't mess around with God. But even as a follower of Christ, even if you are a Christian, God has every right to discipline you swiftly and severely. This is something that was really heavy for me when I first grasped this. Is as a child, just like I discipline my children, God has every right to discipline you swiftly and severely, and it's only by his mercy and grace that I don't get spanked harder, okay? Every follower of Christ, it gives a whole new meaning to the song, Your, Your Love is Fierce, the worship song. No, no matter how God disciplines us, it's far more merciful than we deserve. Another thing that modern Christians sometimes do is try to help God out with his PR issues, 
Sometimes they think, well, God, okay, in the Old Testament, he was kind of mean and wrathful. And in the New Testament, let's just focus on the love stuff. But the problem is you, there's only one God, both Old Testament and New Testament. And that one God is completely holy. Okay, First Chronicles 13, 9 through 2, it's a story that used to bother me. It said, when they came to the threshing floor of Shidon, Uzzah put, put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David was angry because the Lord brought, had broken out against Uzzah. And that place was called Perahuzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So you get what's happening here? They were carrying the ark of the covenant, which was actually God's representation of his holiness on earth. And they tripped. And one of the Levites, one of the priests, tried to catch the ark. And he tried to, to stop it. And there was a very serious law that God gave is you do not touch the ark. And as soon as he touched it, God's anger and fury was poured out on him and God killed him instantly. And God has a reason for doing that. And God, one of the reasons was to show how serious and how holy he really is. He killed the dude for that. And I, when I read that, when I read through stuff like that in the Bible, I'm like, what? God, why did you do that? And, but it says, and David was afraid of God that day. It was, God uses things like that, and he, luckily he only does stuff like that occasionally, but he uses that to get our attention, to show how serious and how real and how holy God is. And there's a, I could go into a lot more lengthy explanations on why God did that in that particular moment, but really, God doesn't need to explain himself to anyone. God is holy, God is perfect, and he chooses what he wants to do. Another story that used to bother me is Numbers 20. It's when Israelites were walking around the desert of Zin, and they had no water, and the community, it was when they were wandering around for 40 days and 40 nights. And, no, not 40 days, 40 years. They were in, under severe discipline by God. And they were wandering on for 40 years, and at a certain point, they had no water. And so the people were complaining against Moses and Aaron, and they came to Moses and Aaron, and they said, we don't have water. They were complaining. And Moses and Aaron went, and they prayed to God, and God said, go and speak to the rock, and then I will pour water out of this rock. So God told them to do that, and they went out, and they, Moses very angrily said to the people, he said, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? And he took the rod that God had done many miracles through Moses, through, and he struck the rock twice. So what did God tell him to do? He told him just to speak to it. And we don't know what was going on in Moses' heart, but it was obviously nasty that God saw fit to discipline Moses because of that. And so immediately after that, here's what it says in, in Numbers 20, verses 12 and 13. You can look up the passage later. Numbers 20, 12 to 13. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you do not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Merib, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. So because of this seemingly small disobedient act, 
Moses, who had been walking with God for years, God chose not to let him into the promised land. Things like that really motivate me to walk in holiness before God. Because I want God's blessing on my life. And God can at any moment prove how holy he is in my life. And so if I choose to sin against him, and luckily he doesn't most of the time, but he can at any moment. And I, again, I don't understand why God did this. And I used to even question and get mad at God and, and kind of think like when I read stuff like this, I would be, I would question God. But really I had to realize that God is holy and God calls the shots, not me. We must be very careful when we question God. God knew God could have disciplined Moses much severely, more severely, much sooner. God was very gracious with Moses all the way up to this point. And he, but I think I have a theory for why God might have done that to Moses. Because right after that, God led Joshua and all his people into the promised land. So, and one of the commands that God gave to Joshua was to be very careful to obey my commands. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. And so God wanted to insert a holy fear of himself into the Israelites before they could enter the promised land. And, and it worked. God did it. Another guy that questioned God that had a, the worst, actually some of the worst things that ever happened, Job. I encourage you to read the book of Job. And it's like the worst, picture your worst things that could possibly happen to you. And it was way worse than that. And, and it came down to it. Job was faithful. Job was faithful. Job was faithful. Job was faithful. And finally, Job decided, oh man, God, why are you doing this to me? He, it wasn't even that, when you read it, it wasn't even that bad. Like what, the way he questions. But in Job 38, God speaks to Job. God is silent this entire time. But in Job 38, God speaks to Job and he says this. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Basically, why are you questioning me? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or, on, or who laid its cornerstone? Look up Job, Job 38, and it just, he just keeps going. The sarcasm is thick, okay? God uses sarcasm. And he just pounds, he blasts Job. Just for, for, for even questioning my whole, who are you to question me? Where were you when I created this earth? Brace yourself like a man. I love that, that phrase. He goes off on him. See, the problem is when we see, we have a problem with things like this, it's because we have a deficient view of the holiness of God. We have an unbiblical view of God's complete perfect perfection. So true stories like this in the Bible make a point. God is not to be messed around with. He is to be obeyed fully, no matter what. God is not to be messed around with. He is to be obeyed fully, no matter what. So who am I to say what God can and can't do to me, to discipline me? God is far more gracious than he could be. And just in case you think God cleaned up his act in the, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that he, now he's a nice, you know, he's nice, he's loving. We're going to get to that. 
But just in case you think he's lightened the holiness, look up Acts 5, 1 through 11. Acts 5, 1 through 11, just write that down. And this is when he started the new church, the first church. Two people just lied about the amount of money they gave, and God killed them on the spot. This was the New Testament, okay? So the same God from the Old Testament is in the New Testament. And, and God's, God is saying, he said to his church, it's a, a similar thing to what he did with Moses. He was saying to his church, you need to take me seriously. I am real. I am God. You need to take me seriously. Acts 9, 31, it says, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. That's what I want for us. I want us at Challenge to be this kind of, these kind of people. Living in the fear of the Lord. Honestly before God. Not perfection. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. But living in a way where you truly want to honor God with your entire life. So do me a favor. Don't try to sanitize what it means to fear the Lord. When someone says fear the Lord, don't try to soften it. Don't try to say, well, you know, it means like respecting. Well, yes, it does. But also it means God could kill you. Okay? Because God is holy. God is real. And he is not to be messed around with. You guys ready for the, the good news part of this? Okay. So it was a pretty heavy topic. So we're going to check out this, this video. It's about six minutes long. It gives a biblical survey of the holiness of God. So let's check it out. Someone hit the lights and let's pay, pay good attention. So the last point on your handout, and I'm, don't worry, we're almost done, is I got a little excited about this is the holiness of God inspires worship of God. Okay, the holiness of God inspires worship of God. We get back to Isaiah 6, and it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. That was a foreshadowing of the atonement which Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin. Jesus is holy, and he paid the penalty. We cannot stand before a holy God, and Jesus now makes us holy because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. In Christ, you can be made completely holy. Jesus died for you. When Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, It is finished meaning paid in full. One of my favorite passages in scripture is Matthew 27, 50 and 51. It says, when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he yelled, it is finished. He yield up, yielded up his spirit. At that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks split. Do you understand what's happening here? That holy, that hot, remember the temple there, the hot spot of God's presence, the holiness? If you got too close, it would kill you. That's when Jesus cried out, it is finished. That, that veil that separated the holy of holies to the rest of the world ripped from top to bottom. And in that moment, Jesus was proclaiming a new covenant. He was saying, I have a new plan. You used to come to the temple to worship. Now I'm going to make you the temple. And what could, when, when that temple was ripped in half, that, that curtain was ripped in half, what should have came out should have killed us, it transformed us. What should have killed us, God's holiness, actually because of God's grace and love and mercy, transforms us and changes us into holy people. 
So God's holiness is good news because we can be made holy in Christ. We can be made completely holy, just like God. This is really good news. We don't deserve this grace. The last thing is the holiness of God inspired, inspires urgent mission for God. Back to Isaiah 6. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. When you realize that in Christ, you can be completely forgiven, your entire past can be completely forgiven, you just want to turn around and share that love with others. You just want to volunteer. When you think about Isaiah, how he felt, he was like, I am undone. I am, I am desperate before God. I am sinful. And then he got atoned for. He got forgiven. When God was looking for volunteers, he was the first hand that shot up. And that's what we should be. We should be grateful. The holiness of God should inspire urgent mission for God. Because we want to help other people accept this. So I have some questions to close with. Is Have you accepted the forgiveness of Christ? Do you need to repent of an improper attitude towards God? Is there any sin that you need to turn from to become more holy? There were some things I was repenting of today. How can you live with a deeper understanding of God's holiness in your life? How can you grow in that? How will you help share God's message with the world around you? Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much that your word is enough to inspire us, that your word is enough to help us understand who you are, that you don't flinch about showing us who you are in the scriptures. You are proud of who you are, and you are glorious. You deserve all glory and all honor, God. You are holy, and we say to you right now, we want to follow you. We, we praise you for making us holy, for changing us. And I pray that if there's anyone in here that has not given their life to you, Father, that they would do that today, tonight. They would do that right now. That you would transform them. That we would fear you and we would love you and worship you for your holiness. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.